I uh, I talked to uh, William, well, corresponding with William, and uh, I thought that this show we would continue. Uh, obviously, William's written a book about Crowley and his influences, and I thought we would continue that. We'd call it, uh, um, you know, Children of the Beast, and that was the title that uh, William uh, proposed. I had one thing to read before we, we got much farther, and uh, I'll try to make it as brief as possible. Uh, it's from a book called, uh, uh, from John Simmons called Medusa's Head. It says, Crowley's involvement in espionage on both sides of the First and Second World Wars, he worked for both U.S. and British intelligence, writing deliberately absurd, counterproductive German propaganda during the First, is well known and presumably well documented. Nevertheless, it's extremely difficult to find any author anywhere who will admit to Crowley's involvement with Hitler, despite the fact that Crowley himself confessed or more accurately bragged about it to his associates. The fact remains that at the deepest, most occult level and behind the political facades and a theater of war performed for the public, the most powerful factions, occult and economic, of both Germany and Britain were not enemies but allies bound together in one great war for the conquest of men's souls and minds. This in itself makes it highly probable that Hitler and Crowley would have met and that some relationship existed between the two men of such different characters but sharing a similar obsession. In order to qualify such off-the-wall remarks, we need to take a brief excursion into the philosophy of war. All warfare must be understood, first and foremost, as internal warfare, hidden, domestic, and cold, of which the external, overt, and heated warfare between nations is no more than an outburst, a brief orgasm, if you will, after years of foreplay. Wars are never won or lost. They are merely negotiated, and World War II might best be seen as the greatest business deal ever accomplished. As a battle between good and evil or justice against crime, it was but one more in a long series of hollow dramas engineered expressly for the hoodwinking of the masses. It seems likely, however, that Hitler in his bid for world domination or destruction lost his head and alienated the very powers that put him in place to begin with. He became an unmanageable element, if not an actual embarrassment, and so had to be removed. It's possible even that he was guilty of betraying Chamberlain and later Churchill as much as he was Stalin by setting his sights on the whole of Europe and so banishing all possibility of an unholy alliance between the two powers. Ideologically, they were perfectly compatible, however, and the same might be said of the U.S., which also only entered the fray when it became completely unavoidable. Hence, history was denied, was denied Hitler by his own <coughs> excess of zeal and lust for power. At the same time, however, in all appearances aside, his defeat was anything but total. In truth, Nazism was as much a global phenomenon uh, as Christianity was 2,000 years before, and there was little likelihood that a minor setback such as the collapse of the Third Reich would quench the raging ideological pseudo-religious thirst and fervor of such a movement. There seems no doubt, no reason to doubt that directly or indirectly Crowley was responsible, at least partially, for feeding Hitler's dark fantasies and lustful ambitions as a black messiah and sign of darkness. Crowley, a true magician and trickster, would have been would have taken no sides in any battle, but deliberately and consciously played both sides against one another in good Machiavellian, Machiavellian fashion. His goals, however, even when evil, would have always been spiritual, never temporal. This has been a fable from the age of paradoxes, a fairy tale about a good war that never was, that still rages, and yet seems, needs to be fully understood or divulged by history. Mythologically speaking, it doesn't seem an excessively arbitrary or irresponsible leap of the imagination than to propose the following, that if Adolf Hitler was archetypal, if not in actual fact, this century, the 20th century, the Antichrist, and few who would, who would dare deny it, then Aleister Crowley, the man in the shadows, qualifies even as he so carefully fashions himself to as his corresponding beast. For when men assume the temerity and audacity to play the role of the gods, the mischief they make can indeed shake the foundations of the earth. We are still shackled to the power of myth, even if we now prefer to call it history, and still caught under the spell of magic, even if we choose to call it politics. One shudders then, or perhaps marvels to think, that this myth story has yet to be completed, and that the prophecy as yet remains unfulfilled. Sorry, that was a little wordy, but I, I thought it was very uh, worthwhile to uh, to talk about it. And... Uh, 
And can you repeat the book for that for me again? It was Medusa's Head. Is that correct? Yeah, it's Medusa's Head by John Simmons. I, I guess it's Simons oh, or Simmons. S Y M M O N D S. Yeah, and that's also a biographer of uh, Crowley. Oh, I didn't know that. So, yeah, Simons uh, wrote a book on Crowley as well. So it's also a book by by Sigmund Freud. But yeah, he uh, Simons was. Uh, I think he was one of Crowley's. He was supposed to be responsible for Crowley's writings after his death. I think uh, at the uh, you know in his will he he dedicated or gave his his writings to Simons, and Simons wrote. He wrote on a variety of different subjects, but that was one of his works. You know, it's funny, you know, in reading Occultist, one of the best books I've read about Hitler and Crowley uh, is Gerald Suster's Black Magician, Hitler the Black Magician. And yet Suster is also a, a uh, an occultist, but uh, apparently considers himself or considered himself to be a, a white magician. But one thing I learned right. in that was, was the, the, the power of magic and the, the uh, what magic really is, which was, uh, you know, a means of acquiring power for for the black mag- magician. Definitely, and the the intro, if, if you know, and I think that Suster's book is very important. The intro into his book goes into kind of a, uh, you know, he predicates all of his statements about the similarities between Crowley and Hitler with uh, 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 an intro on historiography, where he. How, how important it is for the indiv- you know the individuals who's looking at these events to you know what their paradigm is and how they interpret stuff and how much of this these statements about magic and black magic were overlooked and have been overlooked by historians in the past right. and if if I mean I still need to I would love to have the time to go through and go back through Hitler's statements but he always made he made references to an era of magic he was definitely a new ager. Uh, he had, you know, just like you in your intro, uh, you know, from uh, Simon said how much similarity there was for Crowley and Hitler. But uh, he, uh, Adolf Hitler, like one of his, there, there's a quote from Hitler that always rang, rang, uh, you know, with me, which is, every great liar is a magician. So Hitler was is acquainted with these higher magic in through, you know, like we discussed last time through, uh, Exactly. So, you know, a lot of, you know, so some people look at those things very topically, but as I have been researching and looking into the occult when it started, you know, four or five years ago, I realized how complex and detailed and voluminous these writings are and how much information they had and how easy it is to to gloss over the surface of, of those books. I mean, one of the astonishing things that I found out about Crowley was was how erudite he was and how he was, you know, he created his own occult encyclopedia. And these people were, you know, people like Hitler and a lot of other evil people, you know, rely upon these, you know, dark uh, tomes or dark writings to enact their mentally. I think he was probably a genius, uh, you know, from, from what various people have said about him. He, he spoke, I don't know how many different religions. And wrote, you know, volumes, and and wrote pretty well too. Hey, Larry. And uh, you know, he, he's admirable in that sense, but and he, you know, seemed to place all of his intelligence in, into evil. Larry, uh, back to you guys. You can tell me to go away if you want me to, but uh, there's something <laughs> that. Well, you raised the question, and I mean, to me, honestly, I'd like to interject it now. So if it isn't going to sure. derail you, or it isn't going to come yeah. down later uh, in the uh, two hours, let me throw this to you, and it's kind of like a. A one or two part of it, but it's predicated on the first question. What I'm wondering is, is I'm also leafing through this ominous parallels book about uh, Germany, and it's um, parallel to us, by the way. What I wanted to ask you both, uh, your opinions. One, and and from the literature, obviously that you've digested. Do, what what is a more f- fertile field for this kind of fascism? Supernaturalism seems to always have a role in something like this. And I'm wondering, what do you think is more accepting of this? If you're in deprivation or if you're in decadence? And I'll throw it to you first, Larry, and then over to William, if you don't mind. Well, uh, I think decadence uh, would describe, you know, what's happened in uh, American culture. And, and one of the leading factors toward fascism, I mean, you could go down the list of, of popular musicians, uh, you know, uh, Jimmy Page is one, Ozzy Osbourne, uh, Marilyn Manson, 
Kurt Cobain. I mean, it goes on down the on down the line of all these different people. Uh, well, you could throw Madonna in there too. Uh, uh, these people have all been influenced by uh, by Crowley and Satanism, and I, I think our general culture has been influenced by that. If you look at the at the names of, of a lot of the uh, or, or the, the, the music and the lyrics of a, a lot of uh, popular groups, it's like a culture of death. It's uh, There's a great deal of the occult and, and uh, imagery of death and evil in, in, involved there. And I think that's insidious. I think that's filtered into American culture. Um, as far as deprivation, yes, I, I think uh, the economic system uh, in, in recent years, especially after the bailout and the, the big Wall Street ripoff of what 2007-2008. I think we're just right on the beginnings of a depression, and that's going to exacerbate things too. But I don't know if either one of them has more weight than the other. I think they're equally equally heavy in in a, a kind of a double whammy on the American people, uh, pushing us further into uh, a proto-fascist state. William. Yeah, I I, uh, I definitely agree. I think that I would say that decadence and deprivation are, you know, both uh, useful in any fascistic state. I think that, uh, you know, I totally agree with Larry about uh, the decadence of our, our present culture, but also, you know, you want to put people in a situation of desperation, you know, and privation that, uh, you know, make them want to rely on somebody else for, for handouts and for, you know, salvation. And that's always worked in any totalitarian or totalist system and uh i think that that was why communists was communism was able to have a chokehold on russia for 70 years as everybody relied on the party for you know their their well-being and uh you know you could you could definitely for me communism is fascistic even though it denies that it's not mm-hmm. i mean it was all all about you know some kind of Oligarchy uh, through the party. There, there's a small amount. You know, was how many people really in the Communist Party in Russia? It was like 10 percent. So, you know, these 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 elite parties, and there was a lot of like Nazism. You know, it's a small yeah. party. That, well, the, uh, the only real difference, the only real major difference, is the way the economies are planned. But they're both planned economies. The only real difference is in communism. You don't have supposedly, at least you didn't used to until you know uh, recent years with with China, but. You didn't have, uh, you know, private ownership of the means of production. You know, you didn't have the the uh, a capitalist class, but you had an oligarchy, you know, running the show in a planned economy. Either way, right? They had a planned economy in, in Russia, and then they would take the the surplus that was created and sell it on the free market, which right, is right. just absolutely crazy. You know, yeah. they didn't even give it back to the people who were producing it. And they, it's they all headed towards feudalism. I mean, it's just it's just two angles, two ways of looking. Uh, at, at, a, at, at driving people into feudalism. That's the way I'm seeing it. All right. All right. I totally agree with you. So, I mean, going back to uh, uh, Physigoth's question, I would say definitely decadence and deprivation are both important yep. uh, elements in, in uh, fascistic social control. The reason I'm, I'm asking you both, and uh, I think, yeah, you, you pretty much answered what I thought might be the case, that both uh, in pre-World War II Germany and in this country right now, you could say that both nations had enjoyed a period of surfeit, uh, perhaps um, decadence. Uh, you see what everybody's been spoiled into enjoying right now. However, both of those nations, this one currently, Germany then, went from decadence to privation. And I think that makes a population very, very angry, frustrated, and they look to take it out on something or somebody uh, is it a stretch to say, and I'm going to go back the other way, William, to you first and then Larry, are we in a position now where things are getting bad, but there's still a lot of people enjoying the high life out there, even if it's on borrowed time called credit, but nevertheless, are we looking at a position where we're going to, we're going to be dropped quickly from this environment of decadence or surplus, and through that drop to deprivation, you're going to make a country very, very nasty, uh, quite fascist and looking for someone to pay. What do you think, William? I don't definitely agree. I mean, I think that uh, we're in a, in a state of that, of the 
you know, decadence and deprivation now. I mean, I think that you're looking at people who've been kicked out of their houses by a bogus uh, banking system and financial system, so there's financial fraud, but, you know, people are hurting. I mean, there's I saw some statistic where, like, half the country is one paycheck away from living out of their car, you know? So it's not like they have a surf like this surplus of money and uh you know that that makes people angry when they're not secure in their homes and they're not secure with their families i think that uh you know there's definitely an opportunity for somebody to come in and and play the strong man and then there's also we have a i think we're in a decadent culture with all kinds of drugs and you know just the way that our culture is is with breakup of the families and all this other stuff. So Lady Gaga. Yeah, I mean it's it's that's, Madonna started it, Gaga. Look at look at our public culture. I mean it's uh it's pretty crazy. And there's also, you know, a lot of these people are uh involved in magic. Frankly, Lady Gaga's a witch. I mean I don't even think it's arguable. I just read some article the other day they she was in a high class hotel and one of the maids came in and found all this blood in her bathroom and that was a that was publicly said all around the world and they were like what is this all about and you know that these witches use blood in rituals and uh you know she all of her stuff like she had some very intense uh deep occult things she she i think she showed up at the grammys last year inside a green egg uh and she said she was inside that egg for 72 hours well, the green egg is a symbol of Horus, who's, you know, we go back to Crowley. Horus is a representative of this new age, representative of Satan, the you know, the hawk-eyed god. And, uh, you know, so she's inside this egg, and the egg is also, and it's also a babe in an egg, which is referenced at the end of 2001, which is a whole other story. That's, uh, that's a pretty occult movie. But, uh, so in, anyway, she was inside this egg for 72 hours, and then, uh, you know, came out at the end for the Grammys. And 72 is a very important number in the real high occult. And it's not like the, the, the simpleton, uh, you know, generalist occult where 666 is very well known. But in the high occult, 72 are the 72 demons who are the servitors of Satan and run the, and supposedly run the world. And that goes back to Crowley and his, uh, one of his workings that he did at Bolskin Manor was to, you know, put these 72, and then there's these 72 uh, devils to work. And uh, then there's also the uh, 72 bricks at the bottom of the pyramid on the back of your $1 bill with the all-seeing eye mm-hmm. of the devil there. But the Christians have been conned into thinking that that has something to do with uh, God and the beginning. You know, it's just a whole bunch of... I mean, that shows how easily Christians are duped. Right, and they show you the eye of Horus, which is a symbol that dates back into antiquity, I guess to Egypt, maybe even before. I guess Babylon, actually. This yeah. Well, let's re- well, that that whole thing, that whole you know, that whole thing. I, I, I when you sit down and take that back of the dollar bill, you can have a little fun with kind of naive people just asking them where in the Bible is that referenced, and it's obviously not referenced anywhere in the Bible. So it's not Christian. It has nothing no, not to do all. with scripture. Very right. cold. So, Very evil. Well, the, the, yeah, but the, the kicker is that some of those people actually think like it has something to do with our government. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, th- that goes back to like comments stated by Blavatsky where she talked about the power of symbols and different meanings. And anyway, uh, anyway, 72, I got off on a long track. Gaga, 72, uh, you know, 72 hours in that egg. She's a witch. She's a total witch. Well, you look at Madonna, I mean, she's her Lady Gaga's uh, predecessor. Unfortunately, she's going to be doing the, quote, entertainment at the Super Bowl this year. But anyway, Madonna is, is, was heavily involved with the Kabbalah, which is nothing more than the old uh, uh, occultism, uh, you know, that came out of Judaism, which is, right. you know, just a, another form of Satanism. Uh, very, very evil. Very easy. And that was that was Crowley's one of the main things that he had his students study was the Kabbalah and the, the yeah. numerology and all that other stuff. Yeah, and, this, and this woman, you know, publicly gets up and says, "Yes, I'm, you know, I'm into the Kabbalah. Hey, isn't it great? You know." Um, and, and I've seen some videos where where she was uh, some very strange symbolism involved in this dance that she was doing, and uh, they were quoting Revelation. You could, you know, she was quoting Revelations. 
in this video is very, I mean, very satanic. Uh, I'm looking at it going, hey, maybe you people ought to, you know, take a shot at reading the Bible every once in a while, and you might might get an idea of where the origin of this thing is. Larry, um, right. what I want to, all right, now I want to ask you, uh, just to restate the question, to be fair to you, uh, would you agree, at least in the United States, right now, are we seeing something of a pattern that was uh, originally um, started in the Weimar Republic, and that is, and we I, we all think in the movie Cabaret as we're talking about this, I think, and that right. is we're going to leave decadence uh, and maybe plunge into some kind of deprivation, which would right. which would obviously light a fire under people, uh, and to get and and to play on their anger uh, and to direct it right. perhaps uh, outwardly. Oh, yeah, I definitely think that. In fact, the Nazis uh, during the 1920s, during the Weimar Republic uh, in the late 20s, uh, Hitler was just about to hang it up. I mean, he, he was he was getting nowhere. You know, uh, at one election, he, he gained quite a few seats, and then uh, then, he, then he got his butt kicked in the next election, the, uh, the Nazi party did. And he was about to hang it up, and they were praying for something to come along that, you know, that would push put him over the top. Well... In 1929, with, with the Wall Street crash, the Great Depression, of course, uh, from the late 20s into the 30s, that drove tons of people into the Nazi camp. Because I, I remember hearing uh, one guy in, in an interview say he, he was a working man, you know, in, in uh, the Weimar Republic, Nazi Germany. He said, I would have voted for the devil himself if he had promised me a job. Well, wow. in, in effect, he did. I, you know, at least a representative. We're at the um, the bottom of the hour, and as I promised, uh, we, maybe we'll do a little business and, and uh, give the number out again. But uh, Larry, as all of you know, has been working on a series that is now in its 23rd part, uh, covering almost a year, uh, and no one did cite. Uh, uh, you're familiar with Larry, without a doubt, and many of you are familiar with William Ramsey. He's been on a number of shows. He's been here uh, often. He's back with us today after having been on the last one we did with Larry in that part 22. Uh, but, uh, also want to throw it over to William because, William, you know, you've got the book Prophet of Evil written. You've also uh, made it available in other forms. You had the pure DVD, uh, occult, um, Hollywood, yeah, occult Hollywood, uh, and you're working on something else, I believe. Uh, you just want to share with us uh, what's going on right now? Well, I just got a whole bunch of different projects. I, I've got um, two documentaries I'm just kind of putting the last bits on. One is Occult Obama, and the other one is... Uh, I think I've just tried to title it The Triumph of Evil, George W. Bush. And I think you know, the people will find them both very interesting. Um, uh, the cold Obama has Obama referencing 72, you know, just like the numbers I was talking about earlier. And, uh, you know, you can tell, uh, I'll prove through his own, uh, you know, words that he's spoken that he is a high occultist and very much uh, has been initiated. He's definitely a high initiate. And, uh you know, I'm still working on my next book, which is Children of the Beast, compiling information, which is uh, going to detail a lot of the followers of Crowley and people who are influenced by Crowley. And I will, uh, you know, lay out some good pictures and evidence about, you know, all these individuals who, uh, you know, saw Crowley as their kind of guiding light, their hero, unfortunately. And those people, you know, uh, just to get a list is like... Uh, Timothy Leary, uh, Ron Hubbard, uh, the Alfred Kinsey, uh, some of his lesser-known followers like Robert Jack Anton Parsons, Wilson, Anton LeBay. Jack Parsons, uh -huh, Anton LeBay, all these people, and and I'll also detail and organize uh, some of the musicians and more uh, in people in what we call entertainment who have been influenced by him, like Ozzy Osbourne, and uh, you know people that Larry listed off as well, so Black Sabbath and. Uh, you know, Church, which was an outgrowth of uh, Scientology, was was definitely Crowian. Oh yeah, oh definitely, no no doubt. You know, it's interesting. Like you had mentioned Kurt Cobain earlier in the conversation, Larry, and right. uh, I was just listening to one of his songs. His he kind of uh, his last uh, album. He had kind of an apologia, and he called it all apologies. It was essentially kind of a an interesting song that he wrote, but he. Uh, shows or indicated that he is very w was acquainted with magic when he he writes in there you know it's about him and his wife and as he got married he says he's married and buried but he says 
in one of his lines, I can't figure out the last one, but he says, sunburn, freezer burn. So he talks about duality, which is really a very important principle in magic, is the opposites of fire and ice. So he's referencing it straight up. He says, sunburn, freezer burn, choking on the ashes. And it either says enemy or runaway. I can't figure it out. But if he says runaway, that means that he's really deep into Satanism. And I, I can't figure it out. I've, I've looked at some of the... Uh, uh, he was obsessed with Anton LaVey. Uh, in fact, he invited Anton LaVey, who was also a, uh, a musician, he invited Anton LaVey to uh, play on the Nevermind album. Uh, he wanted him to play cello. Uh, really? Yeah. And Cobain, this was in a, an article uh, in Mojo Magazine back in September 99, I believe. And it said that uh, uh, Cobain's involvement in witchcraft and Satanism is a fitting explanation as to the source of his inspiration and the uncanny ability he had for coming up with alluring and seductive hooks that so frantically uh, yeah, enticed Nirvana's fans. Cobain is described as, and this is from the article, uh, stumbling on melodies by means he actually didn't understand himself. So, I mean, that's kind of like automatic writing, isn't it? Yeah, I would say so. Well, his wife is definitely a witch, uh, Courtney Love. Oh, yeah. And uh, she, you oh, know, talked girl. about... She, terrible girl. Uh, yeah, and... Uh, a friend of mine, there's, there's a the music story. business and knew her, and he described her with the C word that ends with a T. I won't, yeah. I won't use it on the air, but uh, that's the way he described her. He, he said she was the most horrible person he ever met. He said she came off the bus at this event, you know, uh, came off the tour bus with her your, her arm still bleeding from having just shot up some heroin. Wow. And it, it got worse from there. So that information leads me to believe that he is saying this. Sunburn, freezer burn, choking on the ashes of a runaway. You know, because that's what happens when, uh, you know, a lot of these Satanists is human sacrifice and stuff like that. But in, yeah. And it goes, it goes deeper. The story between... Kurt, Courtney Love and Kurt Cobain is very similar to Yoko Ono and John Lennon. Like, she was yeah. clearly controlling him. He probably ghostwrote her album, which was like, uh, it was called, it was her band Hole. Well, this had her dad on in an interview. Oh, yeah. Um, and, uh, that was real interesting. I, I, I yeah. don't remember the man's name, but he was Courtney Love's father, and he's, uh, quite well, a character himself, but anyway. Hank Harrison came yeah, on. He said, he said she was awful. Yeah. Well, he said yeah. more than that. <laughs> yeah, he, he really just, I mean, he trashed his own daughter. It was, it was very strange. Hank Harrison well, is no, the gentleman's Hank Harrison is his name. <laughs> okay. There are strange similarities in the death, too. Like when she, like, uh, apparently was, who was the chief beneficiary when Kurt, Kurt Cobain died? It was her. She got all his rights. She got everything. He had said he was married and buried. He did not uh, clearly like being in a relationship with her. Right. And he was the chief beneficiary when Lennon died. It was his wife. So Yoko Ono, and the weird thing about, like, the shooting when Lennon got shot, she was, like, 40 or 60 feet ahead of him. Like, like and then she had, t apparently, she had taken out a life insurance policy on Lennon and all this other stuff, yeah. you know, like. And yeah, she, I for, or, yeah, like, she was a witch. I mean, she admitted to being a witch, and she did all this stuff. You know, I mean, it's crazy. It's, all right, let, let me break in. Those guys were somewhat... Uh, you know, kind of overwhelmed by those women. All right, uh, Larry, all right. Whoa, 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 guys, let me just jump in a second. Sure. Uh, first sure, of all, no. I just want to give the number out. You're going to have to be a little bit flexible if we do get calls because we never really know how that's going to happen. So yeah. I hate being rude, but um, it, 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 works, it works so well for me. Anyway, the, uh, the, the uh, phone line is 618-912-4681. <laughs> you can also send an email to visigothraw at hotmail.com, and I'm just going to throw out a whole bunch of stuff that you guys are just referring to and then throw it back to you, Larry. Um, I have to say this. I just want to get this on the record. Hank Harrison had been on the Palooza back in July 4th, 2008, when I did like a, I don't know, a 13-hour show or something like that, and uh, he was supposedly writing something in that time, which, and he just said it flat out in the air, so don't, don't yell at me, but he said that, that she killed him, all right? So I don't know. Uh, whether that's factual or not, but boy, he was not shy about it, and I kind of like, woo, yeah, when I was I listening. Remember him saying that. Uh, secondly, um, and again, as we said, we gave the number, so you, you have to uh, be alert that we have some callers who have something really uh, of decent input that we want to at least uh, try to uh, facilitate them if, if possible. But uh, what you were talking about with duality, 
uh, William, and of course, Larry, you're familiar with this as well. I do find it interesting that to the very pit of usually, uh, shall we say, Satan's uh, way of manipulating people, and if you uh, refer to either the, the Faust or the Faustus uh, supposed legend written either by Goethe or um, Marlowe, isn't it interesting because the deal with um, the principal here on earth was that he would give him everything, give him com complete carte blanche for anything he wanted to dabble in or, or uh, experience. And I believe I'm correct in saying that the trade-off in both uh, works was that if the principal decided that he had reached a place that he wanted to last forever, that he, that he wanted to hang on to this, that Satan would take his soul. Now, he felt no one's ever going to get me because I'm going to keep going on if I have carte blanche. Now, the reason I bring this up is because, again, I think it goes back with this theme of what's happening now. One of the things I believed in the 70s was, and I watched people go through all kinds of consternation and problems when things got tight in the 70s. And they would repeat that pattern. got worse, obviously, now. My feeling back then was this, that I never wanted to become such a possession junkie that I would be put in a position that, if, that somebody could grab me by the short hairs and tell me, you're going to lose this if you don't play to this tune. And I said, that's never going to happen to me, and it never has. I'm not saying that's always been good, but that's just what I believe. What I think is happening now, referring back to the other question I asked you both, was that give Americans everything, and we've been in that period of plenitude. But what I think is happening now, it's going to be taken away. And again, the old deal, are you willing to give it up not to go into fascism and war? Or do you want it all back? At least you're going to be told that. Remember, it doesn't have to be true. And right. I'm just going to th throw that out to you guys. I think you know where I'm going. Are we now being given, you know, the uh, the, the the drawing after this term? Well, I, I think we're definitely in a in a period of time in which the the anger is starting to boil. I mean, you can look at the the Tea Party on the right. And you can look at the, uh, uh, you know, Occupy Wall Street thing on the left. Uh, I hate to even really call them right and left because, you know, it, all that all that gets kind of jumbled up and hard to define. But in America, um, we have our own uh, version of, you know, uh, the brown shirts, I believe, in the uh, in the Tea Party. And uh, I'm not saying that everybody in the Tea Party is consciously uh, following any kind of Nazi principles, but they're kind of stumbling into that. The, the whole idea behind it seems to me that, that they are going to eventually become the mainstream of the Republican Party. And uh, probably at some point uh, they may take over the government uh, altogether, and which will mean a considerably different uh, form of uh, uh, government than we have now in, in, in some sense. Also on the, the Occupy Wall Street, I expect that these people on the left, I mean, I, they, they, as far as the, the Tea Party, the Koch brothers, the Koch brothers, whatever the heck they are, anyway, they are, they are the nephews of, of people who ran concentration camps in, in Nazi Germany. I've talked about that earlier on the show. Uh, goes back to, uh, you know, their roots go back to Nazi Germany. Their, their father worked in Nazi Germany. These, these two people are extremely wealthy industrialists who, who are financing a, a very far-right party in this in this country, which I think eventually will will show its true colors as being a, an American fascist party. And I think uh, they they're going to become more and more powerful. And I think that they're on the left, the more radical left. We'll, uh, we'll be taking them on in the streets eventually. I think you're going to have a lot of violence in the, in the country, just like you had, uh, during, during the time the, the Nazis and the, and the leftists were fighting it out in the streets. And I, I think that's, that's going to happen. Yeah, right. I agree. I think that, uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I think that people are losing respect for the law. They've lost all respect for Washington. They know it's a fix and it's a fraud, and that leaves the groundwork for something completely different as far as a political, you know, people's relationship with the state. And, uh, you know, people are, people want authentic change, not uh, Obama change. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I tend to totally agree with Larry. Uh, we, we, uh, you guys had talked about uh, the part of magic 
with uh, these rulers. And I was thinking back to what might have abetted uh, someone like Hitler, and I think you guys will agree that, uh, and, and I, I don't know that any other culture came up with this verse or any other movement, but Hitler's influence was somewhat magnified <laughs> to the tenth by the use of spectacle, and that's the stadiums, the oversized flags. I mean, overdo everything for the grand, the grandeur that it uh, obviously portrays to people. At the same time, it diminishes or diminutizes the person, and that's yeah, important too because you must believe you're worth nothing other than your value mm -hmm. to the state. And so, therefore, you have this collectivist head, which I also think is happening here. Maybe we should talk about it. But you also have what, what I would say was abetting the magic, and that was the spectacle. Now, here we are again with media, which has, you know, can do anything that you want it to do. And, and can I just throw that out to you guys? Will you want to take that first? But we need something that is going to make the individual and the movement seem greater than life, and yet at the same time put supposedly the person, the mass, in its place by realizing you're an ant, and we tell you just how much you're worth. Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, I think that it goes back to the, that same, you know, feudalistic principle, and I, I think that, you know, these for these people to get away and do, do all their crimes, the, uh, you know, they have to have their own, you know, feudal type state, I guess, and, and it's it's part of that symbiotic relationship. It's not just keeping people in the place you want to keep them dumb, drugged, uh, distracted, mm -hmm. freaked Opiated, out, yeah. scared, scared to death. You know, uh, and uh, you know, I think we've gone through that since 9/11 for sure, and even before that. You can even take back the Cold War. I mean, a lot of that, that, that rallying up against the evil communists was very effective in a way of controlling uh, the population mm -hmm. in the United States. And uh, I think 9-11 was nothing more than the American Reichstag fire. I mean, there, there's a rough parallel there. I mean, that, that was the event which really pushed Hitler over the top. He became chancellor at that point. Uh, he, he, was, he was, at that point, the head of the got made the head of the government because uh, uh, Hindenburg decided and was convinced that they needed a strong man. They also went through and, and passed the, the Enabling Act, which was very similar to the Patriot Act, which uh, uh, clamped down on civil liberties in Germany. Uh, you know, there, there are all kinds of parallels there. But I think 9/11 uh, basically represented our Rockstag fire, and uh, I think. When I, I forget the name of this this new law that's gone into effect, where they can just basically declare anybody they want a terrorist and uh, take you away. And yeah, the NDAA. The NDAA. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. I mean, that is. I mean, just forget about civil liberties. Just forget about Anglo-Saxon jurisprudence, and you know, several hundred years of of, of you know. Uh, English common law, which which is what American you know law is based on. This right. Point, right. Bush got rid of habeas corpus. He tried to get uh, Gonzalez to say that our rights are privileges. I mean, he actually had that guy say that. The uh, mm -hmm. was the attorney general at the time. I mean, that guy should have been disbarred on the spot for that. Yeah, but, but Gonzalez was right America. when he said that, though. Well, in, in other words, yeah, Gonzalez on C-SPAN had said. That habeas corpus is a privilege, and I couldn't believe it because it was only yeah. weeks before that I had probably my first interview or first few with the informer who, who stated that, that there are no rights for us. We get privileges. That Bill of Rights was not for us. And sh sure enough, Gonzalez, Gonzalez was a big mouth. There's no two ways about it. But right. actually, at that time, he laid it out maybe too much for uh, – uh, for the liking of his, uh, his overlords, but I, I also want to refer to the fact that in our Constitution, by the way, it states habeas corpus is a privilege. That's right in your face, and yet that's overlooked quite a bit. Um, but, you know, again, when you go into emergency war powers, and I won't go off on that, that's another whole deal, but Bush or, um, or, or Washington or Lincoln, I mean, actually what they all did was kick in emergency war powers where there, there's just nothing. I mean, the government can do exactly what it wants 
Posse comitatus, yeah, good luck with that. And habeas corpus is probably the most, I would say, uh, abused uh, privilege in the, in the sense that they can revoke it any time they want to, and they do. So, Indeed. Yeah, it's all gone. The illusion that we had rights and privileges, you know, uh, that were inalienable, you know, I think that's all gone. That, that in, in effect, was an illusion. One of several. It's illusory, no doubt. All right, now, Larry, I don't know if I derailed you. I probably did. But uh, <laughs> if you had your finger on the, if you had the, your finger on the place where you were, uh, if you want to kick it into the next section, by all means, please. Well, uh, what I really want to <clears throat> talk about uh, uh, today, uh, if, from, from William's standpoint, uh, I wanted him to elaborate on, on the, the children of the beast, the people that were influenced by Crowley, and especially those people that, that are living uh, that have lived in, in America and have influenced American culture. Um, so the people I, I'd like for him to talk about were people like Jack Parsons, L. Ron Hubbard, Anton LaVey, uh, whoever else he, he wanted to talk about. I know he's writing about it, and he has a, a very, uh, uh, he can do sort of an extemporaneous thing on that. I've, I've heard him do it, and it's, he does a very good job of it. So well, I'd, I'd like for him to talk about it. Sure. Crowley, uh, Crowley, in addition to being a, a scholar of the occult and, uh, you know, a very dedicated uh, Satanist, was very interested in uh, disseminating his ideas, and he always sought out followers. He was in, involved in, I think, our last discussion. He would always do very public displays and uh, try to attract people to kind of his cause. He was an elitist, so he tried to get other people to, be, you know, join up and become kind of like... Uh, High-level uh, magicians, just like him, and and uh, even until his last days, when he was living in Hastings in the south of, of England, he was taking visitors, and, and uh, there were a lot of people he influenced, and he was interested in in, in transferring uh, leadership over to uh, new leaders for the OTO, and uh, one of the people who was his follower and his, his old owner was a person by the name of Kenneth Grant, and he wrote a bunch of books that were influenced by Crowley. And uh, Kenneth Grant had some very interesting insights into Crowley's behavior, and, and uh, you know he said a lot of different stuff. But he's a lesser-known figure. But he said the keen and persistent practice of even a few dedicated individuals will effectively overthrow society, and thereby facilitate the unhindered development of the new aeon or age and the reintegration of the human consciousness. So, you know, they, this is kind of like a view of the elite changing the whole world. World, Kenneth Grant. And he also had some. Uh, interesting insights into Crowley's uh, connection with uh, otherworldly spirits, namely Lamb, this kind of Lamb uh, figure who looked a lot like an alien. Uh, he said that that no, was a lot. Look at that picture of Lamb. It looks exactly like what is being described as the gray aliens. I mean, right. it's, it's like exactly, which leads me uh, to believe even more strongly that this whole thing with uh, extraterrestrials is all about the demonic, right? And you know that's interesting. And I, I've come—I didn't have that conclusion, you know, three or four years ago. But the more that I read and understand, uh, I think that there is something of this evil spirits. These are evil spirits. And the interesting thing is, that a lot of the—if the, you listen to some of the stories about the UFO, if you invoke the name of Jesus Christ, a lot of these these events stop. And uh, yeah, and it's 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 so uh, you know I've now kind of come to the conclusion that yeah that's uh, that's just one and, that, and Grant said as much he said that uh, that being Lamb is a title Lamb means the way so it's it's like uh, it's not a name like a, a proper name so it's a titular honorific titular statement about this entity and Crowley is saying that that's his master you know so essentially uh, Lamb is the is a is a uh, is a one of the forms of, that Satan takes, essentially according to Grant, and he yeah. also he also says Awas, which is the name of this uh, entity that gave uh, Crowley the Book of the Law in 1904. Right. Grant also says that Awas means the Lord of the Air, and for all Christians who you know are familiar with uh, the the reference well, to Satan's properties, right? Is is that so? You know, so you know, it's interesting that even these Satanists, if you, if you read it, they their, their views of 
their master conform to the cosmology contained within Scripture. So, uh, Awas is the Lord of the air, and, you know, kind of thing, he goes on and says, Awas is Lucifer, and he promises us freedom. So, Anger's, Anger's kind of continuing that. Uh, oh, sorry, that was Kenneth Anger, who's another follower of Burley. Sorry, I, I, I thought that was a, a grand statement. Anyway, so... Kenneth Grant is definitely one of the important followers of Crowley as, a, as far as a scholar and somebody who kind of kept his writing alive. Another was uh, Jack Parsons, who was a uh, founder of Aerojet, and he was involved in the creation of the uh, uh, jet propulsion at JPL in Pasadena. Right. Yeah, was think, the, correct. correct. And he, uh, he was an associate of very, you know, a lot of uh, very important people in, you know, the space program. And uh, he was essentially Crowley's uh, top guy out in California in the OTO at the Agape Lodge. And Parsons was an associate of L. Ron Hubbard, who was another follower of Crowley, who started Scientology, I think, on the day that Crowley died in uh, 47. Did Parsons recommend Hubbard to Crowley? I, I believe I read a, a yeah. thing where he, had, he wrote a letter to Crowley telling what, what uh, nice qualities he had as far as L. Ron right. Hubbard I'm talking about. No, this is true. So, so Crowley, I mean, Hubbard is directly referenced in uh, writings between uh, Parsons and Crowley, uh, and, and uh, Crowley. So, you know, it's an evidentiary, you know, statement of how how important Hubbard was. And Hubbard was essentially the kind of scryer to Parsons' um, magical workings, and uh, he was also an associate and took part in those. And that's that was according to Parsons back in the late '40s, early '50s. So Hubbard's connection to the Agape Lodge is, is really without question. And you can read a, a really good book on that. Uh, it's available online. It's called A Piece of Blue Sky by John Atak. I think it's A-T-A-C-K. And uh, it, it references all that stuff. And where, where, where Hubbard, you know, referenced so much stuff about uh, the occult in his creation of uh, of his uh, Church of Scientology. And Church of Scientology has the Golden Dawn uh, kind of uh, perversion of a Christian cross on all the rooftops of their buildings all throughout the United States, whether it's in Los Angeles, California, or uh, actually your neck of the woods, Viz, uh, good old Tampa, Florida, Clearwater, Florida. Yeah, and Clearwater, so yep. you see the Yeah, so you see these occult references are there, and, you know, it's, uh, people don't understand this. Uh, the symbolism, but they should, and if they see that, then hopefully they'll stay away from Scientology. It's a totally evil organization. Yeah, and Scientology led to the process church of the final judgment, and they even have swastikas uh, in their their symbolism. Uh, right. I know that Anton LaVey was a Crowley enthusiast, and uh, Kenneth Anger uh, also. Right. You'd like to elaborate on those two guys? Sure. Well, it's an interesting um, aside. Kenneth Anger was an associate of another person who was interested in Crowley, Alfred Kinsey. Mm-hmm. Alfred Kinsey was the uh, famed sexologist who's been pretty much totally defunct, debunked, and that he he's a complete fraud. But uh, he also, you know, he was the person who skewed all of his his science science into scientism or whatever. You know, it's not really it's not objectively credible. But he, he uh, gained a lot of following with his with his books, and he was so interested in Crowley that in one of his journeys to Italy, he went to Crowley's Abbey of Thelema, and he took as his sidekick Kenneth Anger, and uh, so in a very, and he did a lot of uh, experimentation with uh, with Kenneth Anger, and they did a lot of like uh, sexual, and you can see in one on this film by Chris Pinto, Kenneth Anger is in. Uh, in a bed, I don't remember exactly, but he's in one of these uh, shots that Kinsey, Kinsey liked to document a lot of his stuff with film. And so well, there's Hanger, the, like an underground filmmaker in, in Hollywood, right. wasn't he uh, connected with Hollywood stars? And... Correct. So, uh, you know, so Anger has a long uh, history, a very interesting long history. There's actually a picture of, of Kinsey and Anger together in Italy at the, the Temple of Chefalu. But Anger went on, he, he made a broad, wide variety of uh, films that are uh, homosexually themed and also fully occultist. One is called, I think, uh, Lucifer Rising, mm-hmm. right. and That's he's involved. Right, and he's been involved in uh, 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 with so many musicians. I mean, he he right. was uh, associated Bobby with Bosley, who was uh, involved with Manson, correct? 
That's correct. So Bobby Buzelay was one of his associates who uh, ended up, I think, killing Gary Hinman up in Topanga Canyon and uh, went to jail. But he was he wrote some of the music for Lucifer Rising, and there was also some workings with Jimmy Page, uh, Mick Jagger. You know, so this Kenneth Anger is very interesting. He also had an, uh, a contact with, as I think we discussed last time, uh, contact with the killer of. Uh, John Lennon, who was David uh, Mark David Chapman. Yes, uh, he was so, mind control. We believe he was mind control. Right. And Anger said as much. Anger said that he was mind control, which is interesting because he had known all that stuff. He also said that Mike Manson was mind control, which is another connection of kind of Crowley through. Uh, Manson was very familiar with Scientology well, and the techniques of Scientology, which are all mind control. Mind control is always a kind of a handmaiden to Satanism. Wherever you see mind, mind control, control and even, ritual abuse and. and and murder of children, too. Seems to yeah, be so, something associated with it. Well, I guess my point is that, you know, just to, uh, if you see mind control, you have to have an evil will to to kind of uh, inflict that upon other people. So, typically, if you see, like, that mind control techniques, you probably will find an occultist somewhere around there. And, oh, yeah. and, uh, and, and so, it, also, it also bleeds over and is associated with intelligence agencies. And, absolutely. And, I mean, the CIA, uh, uh, MI5, MI6, et cetera. Absolutely, and the CIA was started by a bunch of occultists, small most guys. But so, it was also, so, started, also started by a lot of Nazis, and in particular Reinhard Galen and, and uh, our own, uh, what I would call domestic Nazi, Alan Dulles. Um, guys, we're going to come right. up on the top of the hour, so we're going to take a break. But before we do, I'd just like to add this, and we'll end the first um, hour on this note. Uh, we'll take a break of about six minutes, and then we'll be back uh, for round two with William Ramsey and Larry the Contractor Guy. This is from Peacock's Ominous Parallels. This is somewhat questioning and yet prophetic in the same sense. He writes uh, to close one of his chapters entitled The Ethics of Evil. Twice in our century, Germany fought to rule and impose its culture on the rest of the world. It lost both wars. But on a deeper level, it is achieving its goal nevertheless. It is on the verge of winning the philosophical war against the West, with everything this implies. The ideas of German philosophy have long since jumped national borders and become the trend of the West. Half the countries of Europe are already enslaved by such ideas. The rest of the continent, under similar guidance, is on the point of collapse. There is only one country which, though paralyzed at present, is still able to resist the German takeover, in all history, it is the least likely candidate for such a takeover if it can regain its own ideas and its self-esteem in time. The last battle of that war of the century is now taking place in the last of the great unconquered nations left on Earth. That's Leonard Peikoff from Ominous Parallels, and we'll see you in about six minutes. <laughs> 